Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station, right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. And indeed, welcome to Poptique, the show that somehow manages to shove an unwieldy 100 years of content into a perfectly formed package of conversation and compositions. That nigh-on impossible task is merely a toddle in the park because my fellow travellers are the incredible Nancy Dew Matthews and the incomparable Alison Dennison. Hello. What an incomparable hello from you there, Alison. (laughs) Try and compare it, you can't. You can't, you can't compare it. We're bursting at the seams this month with stuff to discuss. Just look at the seams. They're bursting. I'm bursting at the seams. You are? Oh, dear. Yeah, the full English. (laughs) Oh, very nice. Jealous. I mean what I say when I tell you we've got 100 years worth of stuff that you've just got to see and wave a flag for if you don't fancy venturing out to the pictures just yet. We're going to take you from a legendary comedian's watershed moment way back in 1920, right up into a shout out for Scott Pilgrim, who's celebrating 10 years versus the thing, the world. Plus, we've got some outstanding music to serve this all up with, and I've got a masterpiece to kick this all off with. Alison. Nancy, this may be the worst time in our recent history to talk about divisions, but I'm going to ask you to pick side when you listen to this. Are you a no, no, no or a ha, ha, ha? What do you reckon? Can I say now or should we decide after the song? You can decide after the song if you like. Which one are you feeling, Alison? A no, no, no or a ha, ha? Ha, ha, ha. There you go. I thought it was much. I'll be a no, no, no. What a surprise there, eh? It was my first word. No. Really? <laughs> yeah. Again, what a surprise there. If the shoe fits. <laughs> then say no. So... <laughs> Whichever side you're on, right? Holler, either or, or both, as you listen to the legendary Norji Han perform Monday Han de Ballet from the 1983 Lollywood film Choron Quantab. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah. I was thinking you were going to say no, 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 no. Oh, well. But I, but I like it, so I, for this I am ready. Okay, boom, you better be. <laughs> Right, yeah. What did you think of that? It's fun. Yeah, it's really fun. It's fun. Oh my gosh. <laughs> if you can look up the video, I would recommend it because the dancing is great and the energy is super cool. I want to be one of the peeps in that video. You could be one of the men hiking. I wanted to be the one sitting down waving my finger going, no, no, no. But yeah, oh wow. No, no, no. You have to be the high kicking men. If memory serves me, straight after that musical number, someone comes in and shoots everybody in the room. It's an absolute mood shift. Like you wouldn't believe, because everyone's so happy and joyous. Uh, Alison, this is from a Lollywood film. You heard of Lollywood films? Where's Lollywood based? Have I asked you this before? This feels like I've asked you this before. I think you might have asked me so. It's in Lahore. Ah, if that's okay. the right way to pronounce it. It's Lahore, yeah? yeah? They're like Bollywood films, but they're Pakistani films. They're normally in like Urdu or Punjabi. Okay. And they have a little spirit. 
all of their own. And it's just great. It's a good entertainment piece. Yeah, it's a wonderful moment. That, so, yeah. It's never far from my mind, that sequence. That doesn't surprise me, Matt. <laughs> yeah, it's a film called Churun Qtab, I think, but it's incredible. I saw that on some random Sky Channel, like really far down the end, past all the religious stuff and everything. Gosh, about 12 years ago now. I feel like if someone... I'm trying to think of a non-violent way to say this, but if someone like cracked open your brain or your head and looked inside, that's what would be in there. Yeah. Is that whole, just tiny people doing that. Yeah, man. So you've got to track that one down on YouTube. That's amazing. So I'll say that. Well, we'll put a link into it, right? I'll link to it and you can see it on Twitter and she's not it? Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> Right, that was Twinkle Park ah. doing a cover of Overflowing Emotions, which comes straight out of a vintage PlayStation game that I love, 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 called Vib Ribbon, released 20 years ago this September 1st. What do you think of it? It was strange and uh, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. And her voice was haunting. Yes. Haunting is the right word for that. Like a sort of weird, complicated Kate Bush track. Yeah, like Kate Bush has gone full wacky. Mm. Are you guys familiar with Vib Ribbon? Did you see the clip I sent across of Vib Ribbon? No, I like the way you say Vib Ribbon. It sounds a mm. bit like a, a reverberation of some kind. Vib Ribbon. <laughs> Tell you what, the longer I'm in this tent, the harder it's going to get yeah. to say Vib Ribbon. <laughs> Vib Ribbon is a PlayStation game oh, right. that's 20 years old this month. Both of you, you're far too spring chickeny to remember the original PlayStation stuff, but there was a marvellous period in gaming in the late 90s, early noughties, where there were rhythm games everywhere. Rhythm? Rhythm games. Such a happy experience playing a game that's essentially like a musical Simon Says. Mm. Yeah? Oh. For example, Parappa the Rapper. Does that name ring any bells? No. I'm not a PlayStation person. Mm. We only had the demo disc and Tomb Raider 2. Tomb Raider 2. We had Elf, the game. Elf? On a, no, no, actually, that wasn't on PlayStation. That was on the PS, the mini one. The one you carry around, you'd have on the coach. Oh, really? The PSP. You know, like, yeah. on cool trips. Everyone would argue, like, please, can I have a go? Like that. I never had a PSP. You've surely played or at least seen stuff like Dance Dance Revolution, Guitar Hero, things like that. Your faces. The former Dance Dance Revolution is a great scene in Scott Pilgrim. We're going to talk about later yeah. where Scott and Knives play Dance Dance Revolution. I have played it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a fun game. It's a joyous experience. But basically, yeah, in Vib Ribbon, like in all these games, a musical track plays and you've got to hit buttons at the right time, yeah, in the right order. Sort of like that Morecambe and Wise sketch where they met Andre Previn, but in <laughs> game form, yeah? yeah? Yeah. Right, so this game, Vib Ribbon, is a masterpiece of design and execution. You basically got a bunch of really, let's just say, interesting Japanese musical tracks from a group called Laugh and Peace. That's a great name for a band. Laughing really? piece. Yeah. yeah, I like that. And they generate an obstacle course that you've got to get this character Vib Ribbon across. So you've got loop the loops, boxes, squiggles, etc., that you need to successfully tackle. And they're all generated by the music track. So the more complex the music track, the more complicated the track that you have to traverse is. Am I selling this to you? Yeah? Ish. Ish. Okay. <laughs> but two things. Firstly, the graphics are really unique because I showed you guys the intro sequence that explains how you play the game. Yeah. Yeah. Would you agree that it's got quite funky graphics? I actually thought the graphics were a bit simple and yeah. sort of, yeah, I didn't think they were great, wow. to be honest. Wow. I prefer the kind of boxy 
pixel graphics of early games. I like those ones. Fair enough. I enjoy a, a pixel spaceship. Hey, who doesn't enjoy a pixel spaceship? Yeah. Uh. I like the classics. So all the graphics in it are thin white vector lines that wobble and shake like a Bob Gobry cartoon, depending on how well or how poorly you're doing. And your character as you play kind of evolves or devolves, depending on your success rate. So you start off as a sort of bunny type thing. Yeah. If you do well, you become a prince, oh. complete with wings and a crown. But if you do badly, you change into a slovenly frog and then finally into a worm with a box on its head. Are you with me so far? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. 100% with you. Evolution. Yeah, devolution. We all need a bit of that. And secondly, the game does a really cool, unique thing, certainly for the time. Once you load it up, you can whip the disc out and it carries on playing. Any other game at the time, if you took the disc out of the PlayStation, that was it. The game would stop. Why would you want a musical rhythm game to have the ability to have the, its discs whopped out? So you can put in another musical disc. Yes, that's exactly wow. it. Wow, you can put in Cotton Eye Joe yeah. or any of the other discs you might happen to own at the time. Exactly. And the game would then create a unique track based upon the track you put in. So you put in Cotton Eye Joe, it's going to make a specific level for Cotton Eye Joe. That is cool. That is pretty cool. There you go. That is cool. That's like witchcraft though. How does it work? I wonder. I don't know. It's a bit of like magic. Where does it come from? Where does it go? Where does it come from? Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> I thought you were talking about the game there. Yeah, same. That was, that was a beautiful uh, combination. Well, an amazingly profound statement and then actually you were just quoting from Cotton Eye Joe. Ooh. I got married a long time ago. How did that go? <laughs> <laughs> Right, so the company that produced it, Nanaunsha, they did Parappa the Rapper, and its designer, Masaya Matsura, a total legend in my book. I mean, I bought a PlayStation specifically so I could play this game, Parappa the Rapper, that preceded it, that's pretty much the first of that genre of Riven games. So it's very important for me, personally speaking. But anywho, Rib Ribbon, which came out in the UK on September the 1st in the year 2000, and was a day one purchase for me, <laughs> it was a pretty big flop at the time can you believe it yes yeah. <laughs> yeah there you go it's a total favorite for peeps wise enough to see how brilliant it was but a head scratcher for those who just wanted to play tekken and punch their friend in the face without actually punching their friend in the face <laughs> well there you go so i just wanted to doff my proverbial cap to 20 years of vibribbon a game that was too good for the public at large back in the day and going from your responses to the video I sent you, probably too good for people today as well. So let's take a song break. And when we get back, guess what we're going to talk about? What? Two of us have actually been to the cinema in the past week or so. That's incredible. Isn't that incredible? Imagine, Imagine that. So I want to play a track from Carlo, which is a few years old. But I would love to stick this into Rib Ribbon and see what happens. Although truth be told, ladies, pretty much every time I did actually put a track into the game, that wasn't one of the ones preloaded. It was almost impossible to complete. It was so ridiculously hard that you'd just get really cross and stick the game back in. <laughs> Plus, anyway, who's got CDs of anything these days that they could put into a PlayStation? I think I've still got Cotton Eye Joe. So we're back from a track called Faster by Carlo. That was used in an Apple commercial recently, and I almost didn't play it when I found that out. But, uh... It just means hopefully they'll have a lot of money now. Yeah. Exactly. So that's a good thing for them, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Bill and Ted Face the Music is out in eight days. But unless they're waiting to drop uh, like a massive marketing blitz at the last minute, you wouldn't really know about it. Mm -mm. Where are all the buses adorned with Bill and Ted? If we ever needed those two righteous dudes back to save the world, it's now. 
and they're totally not even trying with the marketing. Would you agree? Yeah. I've not been outside much. I don't know what's on the side of buses. There could be pictures of Eric Cantona's ass on buses. I wouldn't know. That would be good. That would be enough to make you go outside, Alison, I think. I think we need that. Yeah. We should crowdfund that immediately. Yeah. They're barely updating buses. I think they've started doing it now again a bit more, but I've seen a lot of very, very old posters on buses. And that's a separate issue to the fact that, yeah, I've not seen any promotion of this. Yeah. I've seen online trailers, but maybe it's just the people I follow on Twitter, i.e. Alex Winter. It's not really within my remit anyway, but I would have normally heard about something coming out by now, which I haven't. Yeah. I mean, you can sort of understand them not wanting to spend the peas on it because how many films have been announced coming out and then delay? Like Wonder yeah. Woman was supposed oh. to be already be out, wasn't it? It was supposed to be out on the 14th. They're torturing me because oh. I really want that to be my return to the cinema because, spoiler alert, I'm the one who hasn't been to the cinema yet. And it's not really due to any concerns, to be honest. It's more just that there's not a huge amount to see and I would like to see something that's proper cinema worthy when I go. Yeah. Like Wonder Woman, but it keeps being delayed. Yeah, it's, it's tagged WW84, but WW now kind of stands for will it, won't it, as opposed to Wonder Woman. And also WWW, when, will, I, don't, I can't finish that. www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.www.
Have either of you guys read that? It's a fun story. It's quite short. And I hadn't even heard of the film until you mentioned you were going to go and see it. Oh, you see, that I have seen marketing for. I've got it a lot on online ads, Facebook and things. So I have seen marketing. And you chose to ignore it, Nancy. Well, yeah, Seth Rogen, man. <laughs> oh, you know, I like Seth Rogen. I think he's quite sweet. What did you think of it? Because I really like the look of it. And I did think, oh, do you know what, if the Coen brothers made this film? That... Yeah. You know, I think they would have been great. Yeah. Yeah. I loved the story that it's based on. I think that's always a bit of a curse if you go and see a film because you're always spotting things that aren't the same. The story came out in 2013. It's a satire on the modern era. Mm. They've changed it so now we're talking about Twitter and cancel culture and so on. And it does that really well. Seth Rogen is very good in that he plays two characters at the same time. He plays his own ancestor because the premise of the film, this happens very close to the beginning, yeah. is that this guy from 1906 or something gets stuck in a pickle vat. A big vat of pickles, yeah. Exactly. And then a hundred years later, he is revived and goes to find his own great-grandson and is appalled the way his great-grandson lived. He finds this dithering great-grandson who's lost touch with his Jewish heritage. In the original story, his grandson is very pretentious and a little bit Nathan Barley-ish. I don't know, I find that more fun. And also, in the original story, there was a girlfriend and I was sitting there for the first half of the film thinking, oh, any second now the girlfriend will come in and she was a great character. I just, yeah. The whole idea of being preserved in something or being frozen in something or and then coming out and seeing the modern world, I feel like that's been done quite a lot as well. And Seth Rogen, I, I liked the Seth Rogen era and there definitely was one and there were some very funny films out of it. But like, is he a great character actor? No, it's over. You're calling it as over now, yeah. His run is done. I really liked him in this and he distinctly played these two characters. God, the technology was good. You didn't notice the drawing at all. How was his Eastern European accent? It was almost identical to Alexander Meerkat. Yeah, that was another concern. So again, I don't feel he has the abilities. There could have there could have been if it was Coen Brothers and a better lead, that could have been a great film. Oh, I'm thinking now if the Coen Brothers have made Think about the comedic leads who could have done that really well. Oh my god. How did you find the whole cinema going experience? That yeah, that's what I want to talk about. That's the most interesting thing, I think. I didn't realise maybe how much I missed being in the cinema and how much of an irreplaceable experience that is. You can watch films at home, it doesn't matter how big a screen you've got, you know, have watch parties virtually online, but going to the cinema and sitting there and it unlocks a whole new level of emotion that you just don't get anywhere else. And even though I went on my own, it was still a communal experience. You still had everybody else around. Although I do seem to have lost even more tolerance for people wrestling. Yeah. And there was somebody eating crisps. She would not stop wrestling. But apart from that, and I just want to applaud as well all the staff at Picture House who were doing an amazing job. They were all there in the mess. They put up signs everywhere. Everything was so clear what you could do. Well done them. I wish them all the best. And I just want to make sure that that experience is preserved because that's an experience that I would hate yeah. future generations to lose. Yeah. Which cinema did you go to, Alison? Without meaning to expose your location and security issues <laughs> for any potential stalkers. Well, I travelled an unspecified distance to go to East Dulwich Picture House. Right, okay, because yeah. I am scoping out the sitch because I miss it. You just describing it makes me tired. Yeah. I want to go. I went to the Everyman in Crystal Palace. Okay. Ooh. It's fine. If anyone wants to hang out there and stalk me, it's all good. I'm not far. <laughs> He's always there. One thing that was lovely, a proper thing that I missed from the cinema, was one parent had taken a far too young child in to see 
Jurassic Park. And when it kicked off and the T-Rex is smashing up the car, the dad had to leave with the child. Oh, no. And then because they left in a hurry, they had to come back in again to get something that they'd left on the seat. It was that wonderful friction of like, are they leaving to go to the toilet or are they leaving because the kid's really upset? And then when they came back in, I was like, oh, well, they just went to the toilet. My preconceptions there were dreadful. But no, they just left something under the seat and had to go and get it. In there <laughs> out. And that was wonderful. And also the new extrasensory experience is they asked if you wouldn't mind wearing your mask during the film. So I kept my mask on during the film. Mm. And after a while, breathing in my own breath, it was like a dinosaur was breathing on me. So that added a virtual reality aspect to the film as well, where I felt like, a dinosaur was was over the top of me, looming there the whole time. That was way too gross. Yeah, it was pretty. I would have to add there that I also wore my mask throughout, as recommended, and it was absolutely fine, and I forgot it was there after about 10 minutes. Hey, if anybody's worried at home, will they be able to watch a whole film wearing a mask? I can only go from my own experience, but I would say absolutely fine. It's easier to watch a film than go shopping in a mask because you're sitting there, it's climate controlled, it's fine. I was going to say, that's the thing, is the air conditioning because I find with the heat wave, and again, thank the lords that it's calmed down so I can sleep, but that's the thing that's difficult about masks. And if there's air conditioning, I, I think as long as you've got a comfy one, it's fine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was reclining in the lovely picture house yeah. chair. I'd sat at the front, as is my preference. Also, that meant I wasn't breathing in anybody else. I had a lovely time. Great. There you go. It's like a little hug for your face. <laughs> exactly. It's like a little face hug. I think we should take a break now, play another track, um, and then come back with some stuff that needs a birthday shout out for the month ahead. Hey. Mm-hmm. Waste all your time writing love songs, but you don't love me. That was a track called Forget by Leanne de Harvest. She's a South London lady, by the way. She's got a new album that's just been released. But that track was one that I can't get enough of, so that's why I played it. So sorry to her for not playing one of her new ones. But my word, that's a good one from 2012, I think that track came out. Blimey. Time flies, eh? (laughs) Talking of time flying, we have anniversaries, ladies. Stuff that happened in the past Mm -hmm. that we can celebrate because we all need a reason to celebrate, don't we? Yes, we do. Yeah? (laughs) So I'm going to give you right now a film that is not only key in film history, but is 100 years old, (sighs) kind of right now-ish. A film called One Week. Obviously, Alison, you already know this. This was the starring debut, the first short film that starred a specific comedian. Was it his first? Which comedian was this? I know. I don't know. It was his first. First solo short. So whose first solo short was this? Buster Keaton. Buster Keaton's first solo short. This is true. Oh, he's amazing. And he's so young looking. But he had appeared in film since, I think, 1917. I can always edit that out if I'm wrong. (laughs) But as... A co-star of Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle. Ah. There were blunder times, let's be honest. Roscoe Arbuckle was a huge Keystone star. He was a contemporary of Charlie Chaplin stuff. He had his own starring series and he brought in Buster Keaton, who at that point was a vaudeville act with the three Keatons. I can see that. Do any of you know how or why he got the name Buster? Because uh, he was really tough getting thrown over, doing tumbling acts. He, like he would do anything. He, he wouldn't break. Yeah, pretty much. Supposedly. The name came from none other than master escapologist Harry Houdini. No. Yeah. Wow. I want Houdini to give me a nickname. Yeah. Houdini was part of a medicine show with Buster Keaton's dad. You know, you see in like these films, these kind of crazy medicine shows. Like snake oil salesmen. Yeah. 
snake oil salesman. Exactly. Hucksters. And- Hucksters. Wow. Keaton's dad was a huckster with Houdini. I would buy anything from Houdini or Buster Keaton or his dad. There you go. I'm having that on record right now. They can tell me anything they want. But anyway, one week. So this film, One Week, starring Buster Keaton, was first released on the 1st of September 1920, a hundred years ago. So he took over the short film series from Roscoe Arbuckle. He made a film called The High Side, which was to be his debut, but he didn't think it was strong enough to kick it all off. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good film, but One Week is amazing. Can you tell me about One Week? What happens in One Week? Uh, if I remember rightly, he's just got married and his wedding gift is a prefabricated house, like a house that you make yourself, like an Ikea house. And it says it can be assembled in one week. But then he's got this jealous ex-boyfriend of the wife renumbers all the, the boxes. They messes up the instructions. Yeah. So they put the, together the house wrong and hilarity ensues. It's like a common story, isn't it? When you're trying to build your own house and things go completely wrong and there's a storm and the house starts rotating. It's the American dream. Gone bad. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. It's so, so genuinely funny, though. If anybody was thinking, oh, I want to start watching silent films or I've heard, you know, silent comedians might be all right, what's a good one to start on? I would recommend 100% One Week. It is so innovative, Fresh, funny, silly, bit risque in places. Sybil Seeley's the co-star in it, and she's in the bar for like nudie and stuff. So that's quite exciting. <laughs> it's great. And also it's got lots of sort of tropes that we associate with cartoons now. Like say if Bugs Bunny is sitting on a, a branch and he's sawing the branch. Of course he's sawing the branch from the bit that connects it to the tree, so the branch falls with him on it. Keaton did that in real life in the film. None of it's done with models. None of it's done with stuntmen. He's doing this and it is so good. The thing to remember with all the Bugs Bunny cartoons and stuff, these are being made by people who are relatively young in the late 30s and 40s. They were kids when these films are being made. So really, a lot of what you see in Looney Tune cartoons and stuff like that yeah. is just people putting into animation what they saw themselves at the cinema as kids. There you go. Yeah, they were references from these. Oh, I cannot emphasise enough how many stunts, how many death-defying acts, and it's so well-timed, so great. He's repeatedly falling from like four metres at least, <laughs> like several yeah. stories. There's a bit where he opens a door upstairs, which is supposed to be a door to another room, but actually straight outside, and he just does a yeah. pratfall. A flip over and boom, lands on the ground from the top floor. It's insane. That's one of the things I would say. If you find that charming, which I do, it is the same situation again. And it's like, where else is he going to fall from? Where else is he going to get hit on the head? Because the whole building work of the house is basically predicated on him having a series of ongoing injuries. Oh, but they keep it fresh. I would say it's repetitive, but I (laughs) I like it because it's sweet. But if if you're not into that style, then... It's kind of the first of it, rather than doing it really differently. I think there's some vehicle stunts at the beginning, which just make you gasp. And the ending, I'm not going to mention, but there's a properly good joke at the end. We see, that's why I would actually say, Nancy, that a lot of the gags work off the back of your preconceptions and then double bluffs and all this kind of stuff. So the final topper gag, you think you know what's coming, then it doesn't happen. Then something else happens that's the top on it. So it's such a oh, it's so cool and dramatic the way it works out. Do you mean the ending? I wasn't talking about the ending. I was just talking about the gags running throughout of the slapstick comedy. Yeah, but I would say that it's transcendental, you know, <laughs> to what's come before. He he's doing it at a higher level than straight pie in the face banana skin type comedy. He's taking it above and beyond in this one. Okay, but hey, fair enough. Well, yeah. So that's that's one week. 
a hundred years old, sort of nowish. Fresh as a daisy. And as you say, Alison, that is the one that if someone hasn't really seen a silent comedy before, so therefore isn't all jaded like Nancy, of like, oh, I've seen too many of this stuff. That's the one to get them going on. I like it. It's just if you don't like slapstick, it's like the king film of slapstick. Like it's not. Yeah. It's slapstick done well. If slapstick's been ruined for you by other people who don't do it as well, then uh, that's a problem. Exactly. I think my point was misconstrued. I love it. At which I repeatedly have said now, <laughs> I love it. But if you don't, it's the same thing. If you're dead inside, you might not enjoy it. No, we mustn't shame people's preferences. There's <laughs> many other things to come, which we're going to discuss, which could fulfil you in different ways. But it's exactly, very exactly, like, exactly. if you're not charmed by him and love watching him go into another disaster, they might not push your buttons. If you're a robot, it won't push your buttons. <laughs> Boom, exactly. <laughs> Although I would say... My takeaway is why didn't she help more? Oh, she was doing her own thing. She was creating parts of the house that didn't go as wrong, so weren't included in the film. She was like making him outdoor breakfast at one point, and that's when he saws off the plank, and it's like, why aren't you helping? I don't know. Good for her. It's wonderful, and he's so sweet, all funny, and he's so attractive. Everybody watch it. You keep saying that. Yeah, basically, the main takeaway from Alison is how good looking he is in it, which, yeah. you know what? Plastic Eaton is maybe the most attractive film star ever. I'm not disagreeing. <laughs> I would like to give a shout out for Sybil Seeley, I think is lovely. She's a great That's performer. Cool. She's in a lot of Buster Keaton's early films and she's got a really modern look to her. Yeah. You know, you see a lot of people from 1920, they look like they're from 1920, but Sybil Seeley, she could very easily slot into today. Absolutely. She's got quite a modern look yeah anyway right so now ladies we're going to discuss a film that's 10 years old 10 years old but before we do that i want to play a track by a group called Plumtree. the track is called scott pilgrim so clearly we're going to be talking about charles walter scott pilgrim oh scott pilgrim yes so you just heard scott pilgrim from Plumtree from the soundtrack to scott pilgrim versus the world although actually that track predates the film by 12 years because it was the inspiration for the original comic book series. That's where the name Scott Pilgrim came from, from this song by Plumtree, kind of a grungy band from the late 90s. And the creator of Scott Pilgrim, Brian Lee O'Malley from Canada. He was inspired by that song to create the story of Pot of pot, pot Pilgrims. Pot Pilgrim. Pot Pilgrims. Scott Pilgrim is a great name. It is a good name. And he didn't come up with it. They came up with it. Yeah. So there you go. So Scott Pilgrim versus the world, an epic of epic epicness was how they sold it back in 2010. It was Edgar Wright's Hollywood debut. Uh, Edgar Wright, amazing. It was released in the US on August the 13th and here in the UK on August the 25th, 2010. It was one of my picks for movies of the decade. Back in January show, that mattered to anyone. Doesn't even matter to me, really. That was a great show. Oh, you should go. As soon as this one's finished, you should go on and listen to that one online. It was absolutely epic. If I say so myself. That was an epic of epic epicness, if anything ever was. Yeah, it was. So did either of you see Scott Pilgrim at the Pictures back in 2010? I didn't know. Uh, um, I think I did. I think it was one of those teenage trips to the cinema with like a group of boys we all bought our tickets and met up and then went to the park after. That sounds great. And I wish I had your teenage years. I mean, there were highs and lows. Huh. <laughs> but yeah, well, we had a good time. We had a good time. But it was uh, I do remember going to the cinema for that. You and me were among the essentially very few, really, because it was a flopperoony. Was it? Really? I can remember being at the San Diego Comic Con back in July 2010. And the buzz around the film was incredible. In many ways, it was a film of the convention that everyone just couldn't wait to come out. And then it, when it did come out, it just flopped like a fish on the dock side. I wonder why. 
why? Well, because you've both seen it now, Alison. You've seen it? Nope. Why haven't you? I don't know. I'm not a person who's seen Scott Pilgrim. There's nothing against it. Did it do badly critically? Or did it flop as in numbers were just Yeah, critically, it was really well uh, received. Really well received. I thought so. Audiences just didn't click with it. I just wonder. There could be many reasons for that. It's something that's hard to pigeonhole. It's a comic book adaption, but it's not really a comic book adaption. It's a teen comedy, but it's not really a teen comedy. Um... It is an action movie, but it's not really an action movie. And I think... It's that kind yeah. of, it's like a Marmite film, really, in many respects. People don't people like nuance. People don't like nuance. Yes. Yeah. Well, people want to know that a film is for them. Maybe it's difficult to see who that's targeted to. Now we know that it's a great fan film. Yeah, but I'm just surprised because it was in a very much an era that subverted genres like that and took the piss out of them and, you know, wasn't rom-com, wasn't this, wasn't that. Being part of that kind of teenage group during that time I think that I'm very surprised because I don't think it was a very controversial thing to do that at that point. It was definitely being done a lot and mostly in Michael Cera films. I wonder if the problem with that film was the audience that it really, really spoke to and worked well for, although it was, again, it was another one of these films where, uh, but like you said earlier, Nancy, if someone unscrewed my head and said, what's going on inside, it's that film. Yeah, I think I said cracked open, mm. which was not unscrewed. That's what I I'd rather have it unscrewed than cracked, to be brutally honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm happy with that. <laughs> You're like an egg. The audience that that film really worked beautifully for probably weren't necessarily the, the audience that went to the cinema to see mm. films. So it, it's a film that has gained a lot more traction and a lot more cult appeal since its original release. Yeah. They were going to re-release it for the anniversary. They haven't because of COVID. But they were actually presupposing that it would do better numbers at the cinema now mm. than it did back in the day yeah. i mean the character of scott pilgrim in it allison he's kind of a douchebag to a great extent yeah. it's yeah. sort of about how true love tracks him from being a douchebag to being a decent person yeah. that's his character look at oh we became a decent person oh. yeah but i need to rewatch it because i feel like it's one of those films very of its time and a bit juvenile about certain subject matters and so because of that i'm curious to rewatch it and see how sympathetic i am towards stuff like that and towards him as a character because at the time it's just like a fun ride like oh it's crazy and like guitar solo and you know yeah. it was fun but yeah yeah interesting interesting if they redid it actually what that response would be too because i reckon more people would go but more people would probably you know do a bit of a kind of huh oh. Oh. Oh, exactly yeah and a lot of things have changed with the cast as well you've got people like chris evans and brie larson who are in there in kind of cameo roles yeah. and stuff michael Serra is the star of the film i can remember doing press at the london premiere for this and the amount of young ladies who were acting like Michael Sarah was all four of the Beatles mixed into one and getting upset just because he didn't look their way. It was mad. I was like, wow, this guy is going to be huge. There was a big following. I remember back then, loads yeah. of friends who were women were all, oh, Michael Sarah, he's so hot, he's so cool. Yeah. He was definitely a type. My friend really fancied him. There were a lot of the skinny guys in those films, the one in Knocked Up as well, who's in there, who plays the housemate, who's in a few different things. It was very much like an indie guy was the new rock star yeah. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. If he looked breakable, he was bangable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why wasn't that a thing when I was a teenager, man? I was profoundly breakable. Well, that's the thing. I think it was your generation who then wrote it in and made films that tried to do that. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, come on, guys. He does amazing fight scenes in that film. The action choreography came from the Jackie Chan stunt team. We're actually like in charge yeah. of doing all the fights and stuff in that film. And they're incredible. So anniversary-wise, what's nice to see, even though it hasn't been re-released, 
just last week for its 10 year anniversary of its American release, there were loads of stuff on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, Edgar Wright tweeting loads of pictures from behind the scenes. There's tons of love for the film. They did a cast reunion earlier this year, mm. which again was really sweet. They got the whole, pretty much the whole cast together to do a rereading of the script. Yeah. And specifically as well, I think it was driven mostly by Alison Pill. I love Alison Pill. I think Alison Pill's my favorite performer in Scott Pilgrim. She's great. She's just amazing. She's great. She's great. I love her. She's got an amazing name. Yeah. Both parts of it, not just the first bit. So it wasn't Scott Pilgrim versus the world. It was Scott Pilgrim versus the world water crisis because it was for a charity called Water for People, which helps promote and develop greater access to drinkable water and sanitation in developing countries. So it was for a good cause as well, Aww. which was nice to see. The cast was amazing. Apart from Michael Sarah, you've got Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Anna Kendrick, mm-hmm. wow. Alison Pill, I've just mentioned. Jason Schwartzman is in the film. Jason Schwartzman, Chris Evans, Brandon Roth, Kieran Culkin, and yeah, Brie Larson, as I said as well. So that was really good to see. And as I said, it was it was Edgar Wright's first Hollywood movie after doing his whole Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead, yeah. and Space, and all that stuff. Good on him. Edgar Wright is a phenomenon. Mm. He's great. And I've mentioned that we've watched. My boyfriend hadn't seen Space, so I rewatched Space. But again, another one I haven't seen since I was a teenager. So it was a really nice one to revisit over lockdown. How does that stand up? It was great. There's only two series. They're both on Netflix, so you can get through them pretty quickly. Sadly, some kind of left very sad yeah because it's very much set in that era and it's very much that they're young and silly i don't think there was that much shocking stuff that i remembered and the tropes weren't as problematic there were just two young people living in a flat there's a lot more drug use than i remember because obviously i just kind of didn't because you don't see them taking drugs but all the kind of hints at that i picked up on much more now because it's all grown up and, and so when they're stoned or when they're the 90s pill and ecstasy scene, all of them going clubbing or like clearly, clearly on big come downs. All of that, I was like, ah. So that was a big takeaway that I didn't have before. Whenever I'm at a Pelican Crossing, I always remember that scene where they're all Oni and dancing just at the beeping at the Pelican Crossing. Yeah. The go- oh, the way they build it up with the kettle boiling and the toaster cut. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, with the with the dancing, it's that guy who's messed up his mind so much. And that was the other thing, the dark humour that I kind of didn't, noticed before when I thought it was all just quite silly there's some really dark jokes which I love but um definitely pretty messed up which is great so yeah it was much more multifaceted than I remember I would say better I would say better great oh fantastic the thing about space as well is that it's full of popular culture and film references yeah that first time around when I saw it I probably wouldn't have understood maybe oh five percent of them but now if i went back and watched it maybe it'll open up a whole new level to me so it's one of those things that rewards you for coming back to it completely i would say two things about that firstly yes definitely because when i first watched it i got the dvd box set when i was younger and so i knew like the shining and the big references but a lot (laughs) more now and i would also say the second thing is gotta resist the temptation to constantly look stuff up on your phone now though because when i watched it you know smart phones wasn't and we didn't have a laptop next to you or anything and now you can look it up or find a website that lists all of them and then it's great to pause it sometimes and be like I want to figure this one out but you do have to resist the temptation and I would say that in a lot of uh, Edgar Wright's films actually is that you have that in Hot Fuzz as well and you've got to avoid the temptation of just looking everything up I think because it can just slow it all down. Live in the moment, live in the moment. Yeah, put your phones out. That is a very very good point and something that 
people watching space the first time round wouldn't have had to cope yeah. with that when they're watching it. If you don't get it, you don't get it. People don't accept that anymore. Well, just it's so fast paced that if you don't get something, it moves on so quickly. It doesn't matter. It's not like it strings out one. Unless it's a really obvious one, it will string out sort of the matrix. So I think we can all agree, Edgar Wright, he's a proper national treasure. He's an international treasure as far as cinema is concerned. Mm. We all need to revisit Scott Pilgrim just to make sure we're yeah. happy with it. And Alison, you should be watching it for the first time. I will, I will. I mean, again, like I say, I think they're crazy. They should have should have re-released that in the cinema. They should have re-released Bill and Ted, Excellent Adventure, and Bogus Journey. Oh my gosh, Bogus Journey. That's a good why, idea. why not? It's crazy. These should be out of the cinema so we can go and see them, even if they're not going to release the face the music now. We should have had the option. It makes me very sad that no one's having this kind of out-of-the-box approach to marketing films. Well, in this and also age. that there aren't clever deals because they're not putting as much weight on it as they are with things like restaurants, where I think it's really important that if it's a film that's already out and that you can get online, do it at a discounted price. They need the support. They need to figure that out. And I'm sure there's a lot of issues, and I do appreciate that. But if they made the tickets less expensive more people would go, more people would be willing to go and see films they hadn't seen before, despite the fact they're on Netflix, in a cinema, in the space where they should be seen. And, you know, 20 quid, 15 quid for stuff that's already out, I can understand why not. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's a bit of a downer, right? So, you know, like, <laughs> before, we, before we end this section on Scott Pilgrim, I just think I should, I just want to say that it's been the decade of blooming comic book movies, but if someone had to say they were going to crack my head open to look inside... <laughs> <laughs> Unless I told them which comic book movie from the past decade was my favourite, then I think that would be at the top of the pile every time because it is a one-of-a-kind, absolutely standalone film. It is completely made from the heart, and you can see this in the love that's coming back to it on its 10th anniversary. And you genuinely can't say that about virtually anything of that nature that's getting made these days. And we'll probably never see It's Like Again. And that's a pretty epic legacy in and of itself. Lovely. I like how this whole episode is about basically just trepanning Matt and just seeing what's inside. Yeah, just exactly. Make a little sloth into his head, put a little, little camera in there, see what's in. It's so hot in the tent today that I think by the time we finish, I will literally explode scanner style and you'll be able to actually see what is inside my head. <laughs> be a very colourful explosion, Matt. Yeah, exactly. It'd be lovely. It'd be fun. That's your lot. What ladies have we learned? this episode. I didn't know there was going to be a test. I should have pre-warned you. What the inside of your brain looks like. What's it look like? Does it look good? Gooey. We have learned that we have very different feelings on Seth Rogen's continued yeah. career. I'm on the fence as far as Rogen's concerned. I've got every page. I think he's great. Let's watch this space. We can agree on nuance, can't we? We all like a bit of nuance. Love a bit of nuance. No, I hate it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Sorry about that. We all agree that we love cinema and, and want to return and want films to be out. And I don't think we all agree on this, but I think I know that I want Wonder Woman to come out. Well, did you know what? Let's say this here and now. I think the three of us, we should go and see Wonder Woman together when that comes out. Yeah? Absolutely. Oh, what could I do? And imagine if that's my first trip back. You guys can hold my hands or actually don't. No, you can't hold my hands. No, I want to be in a separate road to the both of you. Blind me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to be very far away and covered in hand sanitizer. That's what's going to happen. Exactly. So it just remains for me to say thank you. Thanks to Soho Radio for having us. Thanks to Nancy and Alison for being Nancy and Alison. Thank you very much for that. Oh, cheers. And thank you to you 
the listener, for listening. Thanks ever so much. Thanks. Come thought of what we're going to end it on musical-wise. We might not even play a track. We might have run out of time <gasps> completely, so you're not going to get an extra track off me. There's your free bit gone. We can play the 80s tune. Yeah, we're not going to play the 80s tune. What, because it's Blue Monday, isn't it, they have yeah. in Wonder Woman? It's oh, so, so good. good. It works so well. The way the gunshots go in with it. I, oh, it's oh, just... I want to watch that trailer again. I'm going to watch it now. Like, it's incredible. What's good about that is that it makes me forget there's a commercial, I think possibly for a bank, that used Blue Monday, and I always think... Oh, there you mind. Yeah, exactly. It's gone now. I think of Wonder Woman. That's a good legacy to have. That's good. Yeah, so there you go. So thanks ever so much for listening. And to play us out, here's something. I'll tell you about it when I work out what it's going to be. 